Welcome back to Ghostly Talk. This is Scott L. And I'm all by my lonesome here in the studio tonight. Amber is off doing her speaking engagements because she has a lot around this time of the year, especially so this year because her new book, Mysterious Michigan, came out. And you guys can purchase that at MysteriousMichigan.com. So check that out. But that's uh, Amber will be back soon uh, when she's done with all of her speaking engagements because she's a world-famous author. I mean, she's busy. I'm surprised she has enough time to do the show as, as, she, as much as she can. I had a fantastic time tonight talking to the brilliant Mike Ricksecker. Mike Ricksecker is the author of the Amazon best-selling A Walk in the Shadows, A Complete Guide to Shadow People, eight historic paranormal books, and the esoteric tome Alaska's Mysterious Triangle. He has appeared on multiple television shows and programs, including Travel Channel's The Alaska Triangle, History Channel's Ancient Aliens, Discovery Plus's Fright Club, Animal Plants, The Haunted, Bio Channel's My Ghost Story, and more. Mike also produces his own internet supernatural-based shows on the Haunted Road Media YouTube channel and is the producer and director of the docuseries The Shadow Dimension, available on several streaming platforms. Mike's website, you can reach him at, is MikeRickSecker.com, M-I-K-E-R-I-C-K-S-E-C-K-E-R.com. He's also on Facebook at Mike Ricksecker Official. Uh, his YouTube channel that we mentioned is YouTube.com slash Haunted Road Media. On Twitter, Instagram also, Mike Ricksecker. Hat was at Pound. Hash, at Mike Ricksecker. I am so far behind on the social media stuff. At Mike Ricksecker on Instagram and Twitter.com slash Mike Ricksecker. You can get him in all that cool stuff. What a fantastic time. We talked about both his newest books, as I mentioned, A Walk in the Shadows and Alaska's Mysterious Triangles. Fascinating stuff. Enjoy the conversation. Mike Ricksecker, thank you. First off, I want to thank you immensely for taking some time to come talk to us here on Ghostly Talk. I really appreciate it. How are you tonight? I'm uh, doing pretty well. Thanks for having me tonight, Scott. Yes, um, really. Again, I appreciate the time. Uh, we're going to just gonna dive into this. I have to have a, it's one of these these discussions. I know we're going to have a lot to unpack, <laughs> so I just want to get right to it. Now, you have uh, you have a set. Of, you have tons of books out actually, but we're going to talk about two tonight. I think. Um, and it's, it's a subject we talk about every once in a while here. It's on shadow people, right? You have written a book called A Walk in the Shadows, A Complete Guide to Shadow People, which I really piqued my interest there is uh, the guide word in this sentence. Um, just to get things started off, you, I, I, I read this, uh, you know, on the interwebs, uh, that you started experiencing shadow people, you know, as a young child, right? And right. Just just to share a little bit, and I've talked about this in the past on this show, 
Um, I've had some of those, you know, I had some experiences when I was younger also, and I don't know if it was an overactive imagination, and I'm not saying that's, that was, that's your case at all. I'm just saying this is me, right? Um, I don't know if it was an overactive imagination. I remember specifically, and I, I think I may have told this in the past here on this show, but I was walking home one night, and I couldn't have been maybe, you know, 10, 11 years old, not really, really young, but very young. And uh, I remember just walking down my street and it was dark out. I was walking around the block coming home. And I just remember vividly um, feeling, just feeling eyes on me, right, from behind me, so to say. And I turned around quickly and there was a parked car on the street. And I swore I saw something dark, black, like just a black figure just die behind the car, right? Now, mind you. I didn't stay long enough to, <laughs> for obvious reasons, it scared the heck out of me. Right. I didn't stay for very long to, to investigate it, but that's one of the ones that really is stuck in my head. So you started experiencing these also. I mean, what, what was the, the actual age, you, if you remember correctly, like when you start, first started experiencing these things? Yeah, I was about eight years old. Okay. Um, you know, it's not like I jotted down you know, the day or anything yeah. that had <laughs> happened. But, yeah. you know, that's what I approximate it was, that I was about eight years old at the time. Okay. Um, how many experiences did you have, roughly? I mean, did, I mean, I, and again, I know you didn't write all this stuff down, but, I mean, was it frequent or was it just every once in a while? Well, with the first incident, when I was about eight, it was just one time. It was just a one-off. It's not like I lived in a haunted house or, or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one that I experienced, and they were, they were quite different. Uh, the one that I experienced when I was 13, when we moved into a new house, that one hung around for about three or four months. Um, so, and I can go ahead and tell the stories of these. Please. If you'd like me to. I'd love to. I'd love to hear it. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So that first one, when I was about eight years old, it's kind of like the, the classic story. You, know, you wake up in the middle of the night and there's this tall, dark shadow standing in the corner of your room. Mm-hmm. And of course, at that time, you know, I had no idea about, you know, shadow people or shadow entities or anything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I thought there was an intruder in the house. Somebody had broken in mm-hmm. and, you know, they were about to kill me. Because that's about <laughs> what you think at eight years old, right? Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, everything's pretty, everything's pretty final back in, I, I, yeah, I know what yeah, you're talking absolutely. about. Yeah. 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 I'd seen enough TV, right? <laughs> that's that, true. Yeah. I figured I had enough time to gasp. Like, oh, that's it. I was, I was gone. <laughs> But, uh, you know, fortunately, I'm still alive to tell the tale, which is great, you know, so <laughs> yeah. kudos for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did get physical with me. Uh, it did something really bizarre. So as I'm laying in bed and I'm trying to scream, you know, my mouth opens up, nothing comes out. It approached my bed, leaned over, and I'm staring into this blank black face. There's nothing there. No eyes, no nose, no mouth, nothing. And it grabbed me by the wrists crossed my arms across my body, and then it ran off down the hall. By that point, I found my voice by my legs, ran off screaming to my parents' bedroom about what had happened. And, you know, they being nice, kind parents are trying to calm me down, console me, trying to tell me that I had just had a bad dream. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you know, I'd been awake for, for this whole thing, of course. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so fast forward. And again, that was just kind of a one-off at, at that house. Um, fast forward five years. And we're moving into a, a new house. And as I'm unpacking boxes and putting things away in my bedroom, I keep seeing this, this figure standing in my doorway. I turn and look and mm-hmm. you know, it would run off down the hall. And, you know, it was kind of, okay, where the first one was like really solid. Uh, this one was more translucent in nature. It was very, very fast. And, uh, but you can still tell that it was like the shape of, of a person sort of. 
Uh, and this happened several times where I'd be unpacking boxes, putting things away, and he'd stand in my doorway or you know peer around the doorway, and I'd turn and look, and off would go. So mm-hmm. this goes on for a number of days, and I ended up approaching my mom about it, and you know, I told her what I had been seeing. And I, I don't know, maybe she thought I was a little bit more mature at, at 13. I don't know how mature a 13-year-old could be, but um, mm-hmm. you know, she actually told me that she had seen the same thing instead of trying to tell me that, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was just seeing something or like when I was a, you know, younger that, Oh, you know, just having a bad dream. No, she actually admitted she had seen the thing too, oh which was great in a couple of senses. One, okay. Affirmation that I'm not crazy. Mom has also seen this thing. Yeah. And two, she didn't seem very alarmed about it. You know, she just kind of very plainly admitted that she had also seen this thing. So it's like, okay, mom's seen this. She doesn't seem all that worried about it. So I guess there's not much for me to be worried about. Okay. So I got playful with the thing and I started calling him Tom, like peeping Tom. So anytime I'd see him, I'd say, hi, Tom. And you know, <laughs> off he'd run. Yeah. So, um, and that, and like I said, that uh, activity lasted about three or four months and then it kind of subsided. So I chalked it up to something that was there at the house, was curious about the new family that was moving in, deemed that we were okay. And then, you know, he went about his business. Mm-hmm. So. You know, very, very different than the first one where the first one, again, solid, very interactive. This one, just kind of more curious in nature, translucent, and would always run away anytime you looked at the thing. One of the things that you said throughout that that really piqued my interest is this idea of when you're very young, and I've experienced it, clearly you've experienced it. I know (laughs) millions of people have experienced the exact same thing. We've had something strange happen to us, right? Especially when you're a child. And again, I'm not going to say every single one of them is a paranormal or a supernatural experience. I mean, some could just be an overactive imagination. However, we both know that that's not always the case. Right. And I think parents, it's one of the things we've talked about for years on this show, is this idea that parents are trying to be good parents, just like you said, Mike. Uh, parents are trying to be good parents and they're trying to, you know, comfort their children when they have something that scares them. Right. So they do say, look, you just had a bad dream. It's okay. Look, there's no ghosts. There's no goblins. There's no boogeyman under the bed. And it's one of the things I've said about, about experiencing these things, maybe into your adult life. If you have people telling you your entire childhood and adolescence that, nothing like this exists, I do believe that it can build up filters in your mind where you may actually be experiencing things in your adult life too. But by that point, you've been, you know, and I hate to use this term, but you've been programmed. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you're not going to see anything because you were shut off. I think, I think, you know, and I can't say that I'm, I'm as psychic as this water, a bottle, a bottle of water, a bottle, bottle of water in front of me. Right. I, I mean, I don't, I, I, and I say that and I know that there's things I could probably do better, but I don't consider myself very, very in tune. However, I do find my, I do consider myself open-minded though. Right. And right. accepting to things around me. But I think a lot of people were raised in a certain way where, again, their parents are just trying to do the right thing and do right by them. But I think they may have built these filters up. But what's interesting about your story, though, is that your mom, and that's with your second experience when you were 13, it sounds like she was, she, as you said, she agreed with you. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. She agreed with, with me. She had also seen the same thing. So, and, and you're right. 
you know, a lot of times uh, you become very dismissive when you get older, if you've kind of uh, been subjected to the, you no, know, it's just all in your head. It's just in your mind. You just saw different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, um, I guess one of those cases where, you know, with my mom, uh, she's admitted to me over the years where, you know, she does believe in this phenomenon. She has seen some things throughout her life. She's, you know, a little bit more sensitive than, than the average bear. Mm-hmm. Um, but for years, she wouldn't admit that because my dad is like totally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's the opposite. He's like, I don't believe in that stuff, which is funny because um, he has told a story before of a shadow person at a house that they later moved into after I graduated high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were on land that had once been occupied by Native Americans. My mom truly believed that they had Native American spirits in and out of that house all the time. Okay. And there's one particular incident where my uh, my dad had woken up in the middle of the night and through the bedroom doorway, he saw this figure moving into the room and he was just like, I don't know who you are, but you need to get out of this house and off it went. And I'm like, dad, that's a ghost story. And he's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's interesting how, um, you know, we, we build up those, you know, filters over time, you know, of, um, you know, trying to dismiss it, but you know, like you're saying, you know, with, with the parents, they're trying to do right by their children. You know, the first and foremost, as a parent, you want your children to feel safe. So to an eight-year-old, you're not going to admit that, yes, there are dark, shadowy beings that might come up to you in the middle of the night. That's going to that's gonna freak a kid out for his entire childhood. Yeah, so yeah, you don't, don't do that. To, you don't yeah. want to do that to him. Now, your first experience, you said that when you were eight, this figure, and you, I mean, you said it looked you right in the face, mm-hmm. and crossed your arms am i correct did yeah. i remember that correctly it crossed yep. your arms and uh, so it just crossed your arms for some reason right it, it, it obviously didn't say anything to you you didn't see its face because it, you said its face was all black correct correct wow okay <laughs> you mentioned something um what i what i had written down here is about uh shadow people and sleep paralysis mm-hmm. i don't know if you experienced it in that situation but can we talk about this relationship for a second? Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and no, I did not experience sleep paralysis okay. uh, in that particular situation. You know, my mouth opened up and nothing came out because I was too terrified. Yeah. And of course, I had the whole arms crossed. And then when it ran off down the hall, mm-hmm. uh, my, my head turned. You know, I turned my head to watch it go down the hall. Mm-hmm. Um, I have experienced real sleep paralysis, but um, in the opposite way that most people experience it, where most people... Uh, experience it where they wake up and they have the paralysis. And by the way, that's a very natural biological phenomenon. Your your body, in most cases, uh, will you know paralyze itself at night while you're sleeping so you don't act out your dreams. So it's a totally exactly. natural biological phenomenon. Yes. Mm-hmm. But other people, and it's a smaller percentage, can uh, experience it the opposite way where you're, and this is what it's happened to me a couple of times where your body's so exhausted, it just shuts down. So the body basically falls asleep and paralyzes itself, but your mind is still awake and you're cognizant of everything that's going on around you, but you can't move, oh God. Uh, which is, which is really scary. And it, the first time it happened to me, I was a young airman in the air force and it, it took place at work. <laughs> you do not want to get caught oh. sleeping on the job while you're in the military. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> yeah, you don't want that. Yeah, so uh, I was very terrified just from, oh my gosh, I am in so much trouble right now. <laughs> what do I and what do I do to get out of this? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so what I what I figured out, fortunately, I didn't get in any trouble. I would get out of it before I got found and discovered. Um, you know, I, I started to see, okay, can I at least wiggle a toe? You know, I, I was panicked at first, calmed myself down a little bit. Can I at least wiggle a toe? And once I was able to get a toe wiggling, I was able to wiggle another. And okay, can I get the foot moving, you know, the leg a little bit? I just kind of slowly worked up my body until I could finally get my head to open up. Um, and, and finally get everything awake. So that was the strategy that I used. The second time that happened, which wasn't for some years later, again, kind of the same situation. Maybe mm-hmm. if I, uh, I don't know, went to bed earlier or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and so when that happened again the second time, it was still, it was still scary because here I am in the same situation again, but I knew what to do to be able to get out of it. Uh, but yeah, that's a, it's a real biological phenomenon that can happen. Mm-hmm. And the, in my book, I have the medical literature uh, within it that talks about sleep paralysis, but the way that they approach the shadow phenomenon with it is they basically just chalk up shadow phenomenon in general to a hallucination due to sleep paralysis. And I have a lot of problems with that because for one, um, a lot of people see this shadow phenomenon without being in, in any sort of sleep situation at all. Uh, you know, as paranormal investigators, you know, we could, you know, we're walking around somewhere. We're seeing uh, like in a historic house or at, if it's a residential investigation, yeah. we see shadows moving about. Um, you know, the incident that I had uh, when I was 13 and I kept seeing this thing in my doorway, I was totally awake for all of those. Um, and I've seen a lot of shadows uh since then in a variety of different situations. The only one related to sleep was the very first one. So in, in a lot of cases, you know, seeing shadows has nothing to do with sleep. The other problem I have is with the hallucination part of it. Um, you know, the idea that, you know, we're, we're waking up, we have this, you know, sleep paralysis because that's a natural biological phenomenon. And then the shadow person that we see is just a hallucination out of our dreams. And that's, that's their premise. That's, that's their hypothesis. That's already, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, we dream about a lot of different things. We don't just dream about people. You know, we dream about cars and airplanes. You know, they'll be in our dreams. We, there's trees and bushes and flowers and things like that in our dreams. I've mm-hmm. had dreams of being on stage with Motley Crue, and I've never woken up to you know, <laughs> you know, 10,000 people in my room with the pyrotechnics going off and the drum kit. And it would be freaking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but that's never happened. When this happens to people, they wake up and they see this shadow person. So I have a, I have a theory as to what's going on okay. with this. And people who have had small children, kid, can relate. Most times uh, when a child wakes up in the middle of the night and they need to use the restroom or they had a bad dream or whatever, they come up to your bed, they tap you on the shoulder or shake you awake and they tell you, you know, this thing happened. So, okay, we get up and we go take care of it. But there are some times, and my youngest son, Cameron, was notorious for this, that they will come up to the bed and they will just stand there and they will stare at you. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden you wake up and it's like, oh my God, Cameron, what are you doing? It's totally freaky <laughs> because there's this child that's just standing there staring at you. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're like, oh, I had, had a bad dream or I you know, need a drink of water or whatever. Okay, fine. We'll go take care of it. Next time, tap me on the shoulder or something, you know. Um, but the question then becomes, what woke you up? Because they didn't touch you. So how did 
you suddenly wake up in this case. And each, each person has a toroidal field of energy that surrounds us. It extends out into you know, several feet. You know, it's basically, you know, when you feel somebody's presence near you, uh, you know, you can have your back to a doorway and somebody walks into a room and you might not hear them, but you just feel like some, somebody's in the room. You turn around. Oh, wow. Okay. Somebody's here. Mm -hmm. And what it is, is because their field of energy passed into yours. And so you're able to, to feel their energy, their presence. And so, you know, when the child comes up to the edge of the bed and they're just standing there staring at you. Their field of energy is crossed into yours. You feel that because uh, you know, it's, it's crossed into your energy, and then you wake up and you, know, you have that moment. So I believe that's actually what's happening with these shadow entities because they also have an energy too. Mm -hmm. And so I believe what's going on, they're standing in the corner, at the edge of the bed, uh, at the end of the bed, wherever, and their field of energy crosses into yours. You feel that. You wake up. And, oh, by the way, uh, you know, the sleep paralysis is a natural biological phenomenon that might happen of its total own accord. Mm -hmm. You wake up, you have the sleep paralysis, you see the shadow person standing there. Usually your immediate thought is there's an intruder in the house. So your adrenaline starts running. All these you know, ideas are going through your mind. You yeah. can't move. Your adrenaline starts pumping. And you know, so that's what's going on here. So it's like this rabbit hole that you dive down into. And, uh, and yeah, so... I believe what's going on is it's it's two different phenomena. There's a shadow phenomenon and there's a sleep paralysis phenomenon yeah. that are occurring at the same time. I was going to say it sounds like you know you're aligning the planets in a certain way, and that's what's what's that's what's causing this. Um, and I found that fascinating. You know, it made me think about this. It's kind of related. <laughs> it's more funny than anything because I just experienced this, and I'm 47 now, and this is the first time I've ever had this kind of control. In a dream, related but not related. Hear me out. Okay. <laughs> so, I thought I I found this fascinating. I had a dream uh, a couple weeks ago, where and it was just some you know just you know how random dreams can be. It's just weird stuff happening, right? Uh, I this wasn't too weird, but it's not like me. I was at a hotel. I was I was traveling. I was at a hotel and I had a I had some possessions. I had uh, you know my my overnight bag and my toiletry bag and you know it's just your travel stuff and okay. i had a room at the hotel this is where things get foggy as you would know uh but they're like well you know yeah don't go to that area over there that's um being worked on it's under construction oh, okay okay so what do i do i go over there <laughs> anyway of course. of course you do that that's not logical but i do it so i go in there and I find a room to stay in that's clearly being worked on. It's it looked like it was like half being worked on, like you know, under construction. But also, people like I saw like like construction boots, like workmen's boots, and in tools and stuff. So it was like where people, um, you know, it was like half being worked on. But that's where these people were sleeping at. So you know. Scott, when he's awake, would have been like, well, he would have never been there in the first place. <laughs> but, <laughs> but Scott, when he was awake, would say, okay, there's clearly this is an occupied room. I'm not going to go here. So, no, but not in this dream. I go and lay down on the bed and fall asleep. And I wake up to all my stuff. I wake up to people around me, like they're outside the, the room smoking cigarettes and stuff. Uh, and 
there's people in the room and I'm like, oh, hi. And they're like, dude, you know, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, I'm sorry. I was really tired and I needed to take a nap and I'll leave. But what they had done is taken all my stuff. They've, oh, they, they just kind of took all my stuff and they were laughing at me. Now, this is, you know, again, I'm trying to keep the details to a minimum here. Um, this is where it got weird for me, at least, because I was like, man, this sucks. Like, this is a really bad situation to be in. Wake up. Wake up. And that's that's all I did. My mind was like, wake up. You're, this yeah. isn't real. Wake up and get out of this. Because I was really upset in my dream. Because sure. losing my possessions when I'm traveling is, for me, if you know me, that's like the next level nuclear meltdown. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's, was a, it was a big fear, obviously. But yeah. I've never experienced that, though, in... All these years, I never have had that control. It's always been something where I finally just get to the end of something where, you know, something else wakes me up, right? Right. Uh, Something externally wakes me up. But I actually, within this thing, told myself, dude, get out of this. This is is BS. Just get out of this. You don't need this crap, right? And I did. I woke up and I felt fine. Related but not related. It just made me think about that. And I thought that was fascinating because I've never experienced that before in my entire life. Yeah, that's interesting. That's more of a lucid dream experience where yeah. you're aware that it's a dream and you have more control of what's going on. Exactly. So, um, yeah. And, I've, yeah I've, and, I've, and I know people that experiment with lucid dreams that, you know, get mm-hmm. into that state and are able to manipulate the environment. And I, I guess they're able to learn things ab- about themselves and I guess basically have fun in the dream world since you're able to do whatever you want. With well, it, so. You're accessing your subconscious and there's yeah. just stuff there we don't know about in our daily lives that when we're awake and moving around and and playing with our phones and driving our cars and stuff like that, I, it's, I, I imagine it's something that you can't really, you can't really access until maybe you go to sleep. I know that, and I know that there's people that do. I'm, I, yeah, because yeah, you're in a total awesome. br- different brainwave state. Yeah, yeah totally, absolutely. totally. You know, and that does relate to what we're talking about to a certain, so I'm sorry, I, hate, I didn't mean to take us no, too far, but I thought it was really interesting though. Um, back to shadow people though, I do mm-hmm. want to talk about, because there are different types of shadow people, right? Uh, I, let's talk about this for a few minutes. I mean, I'd like to hear about, yeah, this and their characteristics. Because I know I've seen not just the one when I was a kid. I've seen a handful of others. And so I'm curious to hear from you, like these different char- you know, these different classifications, I guess, of, a, of shadow people. Yeah, there's a lot of different types. And when you start classifying like by uh, what they appear as. So mm-hmm. you have the humanoid figure, you know, which is basically what I saw in my bedroom when I was eight years old. You know, very mm-hmm. solid, that sort of thing. Looks just like a person. You know, you have uh, the one that they call the hat man, wears a variety of different hats, might be a fedora, a top hat, mm-hmm. a wide brimmed hat. You even heard one occasion where he was wearing an archer style hat, like something out of Robin Hood. It's kind of bizarre. Um, Not to, hood- I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, but I do want to, I do want to point this out too because you're saying this and that's one of the ones we've talked about here. Remember Spy versus Spy in Mad Magazine? Oh yeah, sure. I, I've had other people say this to me also as far as like, you know, this classification because this is what you're the one you're talking about. I've had people say that they've seen a, a shadow person that looks like looks like the one spy. You know, there was a, there was the black and the white spy versus mm-hmm. spy that looked like the black one. Right. Um, yeah. Th- that shape of the hat and stuff like that. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I wanted to point that out, though. Yeah, yeah, that's more of like the wide brimmed hat. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, exactly. People have, yeah, people have seen that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. Um, and there's a so I guess to keep going with that, you have the mist, the wisp, mm-hmm. the the crawler. Of course, uh, old hag syndrome is all related to it because mm-hmm. uh, that's that gets into the whole sleep paralysis element again. Yeah, 
So yeah, you have a lot of these different types of characters and you know, people always want to know, uh, okay, so like, what is a shadow person? Why do they have all these different appearances and things like that? Yeah. And, you know, really it's, they are a lot of different things and you can't just uh, classify, well, um, you know, you know, the humanoid figure is this one type of shadow person and the hat person is this other type of shadow. Um, there's basically, and, and my friend, Mark Anthony, who uh, I interviewed him for my, my docu-series, The Shadow Dimension, mm-hmm. had a great quote at, out of that where uh, he had said that um, you know, we may be dealing with several different species that uh, use a similar energetic modality, the shadow, to enter into our uh, domain here on earth. Okay. Uh, and that, and that's really fascinating uh, you know, to think about because when we start looking at what exactly these things are, okay, they all look, you know, very different. We try to classify by mm-hmm. what they look, because we're human. So we try to categorize, categorize, compartmentalize, mm-hmm. but you, know, you have some that are human spirits, you know, that are simply, uh, you know, spirits that are trying to manifest as an apparition and only come off as a shadow. You have others that are extraterrestrials. You have uh, many, which I believe is kind of like a quote unquote true shadow being, mm-hmm. um, you know, that are interdimensional beings. But then you have like, you know, tulpas and you have time slips and, you know, astral projections could be some of these uh, shadows that we're seeing or, you know, light beings that, you know, come off in a you know different wavelength that, you know, meets the criteria of our eyes. So there's a lot of different things that, these could actually be interesting and yeah because that and that covers so much i mean just in a couple minutes there you talked about ghosts uh interdimensional beings or even let's say extraterrestrials which more or less you pointed to too so i mean what you're saying is that these more or less cover i mean they could be any of those if not all of those correct yeah absolutely let me give you a good example here all right so a uh, fascinating story about uh, Albert K. Bender. This is back in the 1950s. In 1952, he founded the International Flying Saucer Bureau. This is during the big UFO flap when you had the UFOs over you know, Washington, D.C. And, and all over the place. So he founds this organization, 52, and he blew it up big within a year. You know, it went international, U.K., Australia. And this is back in the time, you know, we didn't have the Internet. Um, you know, trying to you know make long distance calls was very expensive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oh, we were yeah. doing basically everything by snail mail. I mean, you remember that? You remember the days when oh, you, know, I remember you had to make a call well. after nine p.m. to cut down on the rates. Oh yeah, and, and yeah. long distance was. I, I tell young people now, I'm like, you don't know what long distance is. You have no. Oh idea. yeah, they got it lucky these days. You are so lucky. <laughs> yep. But uh, but yeah, so in a year's time, with you know very limited technology, he was able to blow the organization up big. But yet in 1953, all of a sudden, boom, he shut the whole thing down and people wondered why. And there was some speculation during the, the mid fifties as to why that was. And mm-hmm. there were some books written by Gray Barker where he kind of threw out some theories. But in the early sixties, Albert K. Bender wrote this book called Flying Saucers and the Three Men to explain what happened because now he you know, was allowed to. And uh, you know, basically he told the story of uh, he had come home one night and walked into his bedroom and materializing through the wall were these three dark, shadowy, hat-wearing entities with glowing eyes and smelling like sulfur. 
And basically they told him that he needed to stop his research into the UFO phenomenon, basically scared him off of it. Now I hear the story. Uh, well, I've heard it first and then I've got his book and I read it. Uh, you know, I hear the story and it's like, wait a minute, this is like, you know, the, the paranormal supernatural shadow people that we always talk about. This is, this is something paranormal. Mm-hmm. Bender in his account says, well, no, these were actually extraterrestrials. And according to him, they had actually set up a base in Antarctica. We're harvesting resources on a 15 year mission. And once they were gone and off the planet, then he was allowed to talk about it or, you know, all these nasty things are going to happen. So according to him, they were extraterrestrials. Other people hear the story and they say, no, it was the men in black. So, you know, it kind of makes you wonder, okay, are, are we all talking about the same thing here or just giving it a different name? Yeah. It's, it's an interesting question. I mean, obviously we don't have any solid answers right now, right? but that is very interesting. You know, the other side of this though, too, and I was thinking about this also when I was just jotting down notes today for, for this evening, um, is this concept of evil too, uh, shadow people, right? And I know it's, it, it Here's an here's I'm going to throw an example out from from a movie at least. I don't know if you've seen the movie Annihilation. Uh, Alex Garland. Okay, it's it's I've, it comes up here often because we're we're big fans of the movie. But it does raise this idea, and not to spoil anything for anybody in the listening audience or yourself, also Mike. But this it, it's about an alien, right? Uh, the movie is, and so is the book too. Essentially, um, it's about an alien that that comes here to our planet and starts doing things. Um, and one of the ideas that's presented is this construct of evil. Well, and then it makes you start thinking about what actually evil is on this planet. We both know that the idea of evil, it's a term that has a lot of different meanings. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a very, it's a complicated idea that the idea of evil, but I think what most people's their, their idea of what evil is, is if something's done to them that they consider intrusive or whatever a violation well that person is evil that's not that's a very big oversimplification of it i know but um there also is this thing where let's say we Are you have tell me that from your point of view the jedi were evil <laughs> <laughs> oh boy we're gonna be here all night now <laughs> now you opened it up <laughs> uh no <laughs> but anyway <laughs> But I mean, but let's think for a minute here, and this and this can apply to shadow people. And this is what I was thinking about today, right? Just from that, you know, that story out, that movie and the book and mo- book and movie I, I was talking about. Um, if something comes from somewhere else and comes here, let's say it's a shadow person, right? Um, they may have a different construct on what evil is. They may not even understand what the idea of evil is because it's an idea, I think. Right. I mean, it does it does take action, too. So could. Well, I mean, and I could ask you flat out, Mike. I mean, do you think these things are evil or are they just existing and just doing their thing, regardless of what the idea of evil is? Well, here's the thing. And this is very simplistic. Mm -hmm. And this is what I say, because I do get the question a lot. You know, are they are they evil? Because there are people out there that will say Things like, you know, shadow people are the most evil of all entities and the darkest of the dark, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it is people just fear what they don't understand. You know, they see a shadow 
that's in their their room and it might not be doing a thing other than standing there mm-hmm. which yes is creepy and it's an invasion of privacy because something that you did not ask to come into your room yeah. or come into your house has mm-hmm. done so um but if it's not actually doing anything it's not actually being evil so it, this is what i say it's very simplistic some humans are good some humans are bad mm-hmm. some shadow people are good some shadow people are bad it's it's a mixed bag you know yeah. they each have their own agendas and i've you know a- accounted in my book and in, in different uh presentations i've done and, and what have you, you know, a number of different stories in which you know, we have them they're being benevolent there are other ones in which yeah they are you know, doing something very malicious and nefarious. Mm-hmm. Most of them are just rather benign. They're just watching, standing, staring, observing, not really doing a whole lot. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think it takes more uh, investigative work to try to figure out who or what the uh, who or what these things are and what their specific agenda is. And that agenda is specific to each shadow entity. Everybody wants kind of every it wants it all wrapped in a bow. Okay, tell me what a shadow person is and what it is they're up to. And it's, it's just not that simple. They're, no. they're their own individual person, just like we are. Exactly. Oh, and that's back to that concept of what evil is. That's very interesting what you said too, I find, because yeah, if, if something, okay, if, if a squirrel gets in your house, I'm saying this because I've experienced this. <laughs> if a squirrel gets in your house, um, they're being a squirrel. They're just exploring and doing their thing, right? right? Um, if they get in your house, sometimes they get confused and get scared when you see them, and they start running all over the place, knocking stuff off your shelves, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> mind you, yeah, made me a bit upset, felt a bit violated, but I looked at. I'm also an animal lover, but I looked at the squirrel and found a way to get him out of the house so he could go about his merry way. He just didn't. He just got lost, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I've had that happen before too. <laughs> <laughs> so like, uh, but in that situation, when you think about it, it's like, well, yeah, it certainly teed me off a little bit. Maybe I'm, you know, like, oh, I got a squirrel. But at the same time, it's like, well, that squirrel is just doing, he's just being a squirrel. Just being a squirrel. I mean, yep. what he was doing, I would, you know, do I, he's not evil. He's this cute little squirrel. He's far, the furthest thing from evil, but he's not evil. He just, he was doing something. He was just operating, right? Whereas sh- these shadow people, yeah, you may be right on that where, well, yeah, they're observers, they're watchers. We don't know what their agenda is, uh, but p- this may be part of their agenda is to observe and watch. And the only way they know how to do that is to come and do what they do, which obviously in this plane of existence we're on, yeah, something when you wake up in the middle of the night, and you see a black figure in your door, I can't really think of anything worse than that. <laughs> and you're going to consider that evil. You're going to consider that very you're going to evil. Consider evil. I mean, usually yeah. your, your, your first inclination is there's an intruder in the house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and, and once your mind is figured out, okay, it's not an intruder, it's somebody else, then yeah, because it's at night, and it's dark, and it's, it's creepy. Evil. We've seen enough horror yeah. movies in... Yeah, that that's where you go with it. But well, that's that programming uh, I was talking about too. Right. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. programming. It's it's what we've been taught. Yeah. Uh, but you know, let's put the shoe on the other foot. If we, you know, if if we uh, progressed our space travel enough, where we could go visit another planet that is inhabited by intelligent life, or if we have figured out how to 
project our consciousness across the cosmos. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are we gonna what are we gonna do when we first go there? Yeah, you know, we're gonna watch and observe, learn the environment, you know, that sort of thing. And we may be coming off as know the shadow people to the others when we do something like that well they may have what i was just thinking of is yeah we land on planet you know planet b god knows where way way far away from here right and we go there and we take this the ideas we're talking about right now mike well okay you stay out of people's houses that you don't belong to you know that that, you know you're not a family member friend you know just don't go in people's houses in the middle of the night no matter what really right that's just kind of a rule we have here on this planet what if it's different somewhere where no no we don't want you walking around on the outside at nighttime like that well that's something here too <laughs> i'm screwing that up <laughs> but you know what well, i mean they might, they might have different social norms they might have different social norms that's exactly why and they may yeah. consider you know we come there and go hey well we don't want we just want to observe we don't want to bother anybody well well maybe you know there's a lot of things that could be thought of i mean yeah I'm, I'm probably going nowhere with this but yeah there's a lot of things that could be uh be perceived because perception is everything, right? Sure. Um, that's what the biggest problem I think we're going to have if we ever go somewhere, go to a different planet like that. It's going to be that, you know, <laughs> so we're going to go Star Trek now, that prime directive thing <laughs> we have to worry about, right? <laughs> right. Um, th- there's a lot that goes into that. But, yeah, it's, it, you know, this this idea of evil, it, it's a lot, to, again, a lot to unpack, I think, when it comes to shadow people because they could just be doing what they're doing and they don't have a concept of evil. That's how I sum it up, really. It's just that. Like, they don't have a concept. They may not have a concept of evil, and they're just doing what they do, and they don't understand that we don't like that. <laughs> right? right, yeah. Fascinating idea. I want to switch gears hard here, if you don't mind. Okay. But I knew sure. we were going to have a lot to unpack here, and I want to be able, I want to get to everything here. This stuff is all fascinating. Um, you wrote another book recently called Alaska's Mysterious Triangle. Uh, okay. And this is obviously about the Alaska Triangle, right? And it's one of those things of all the years of studying the paranormal, uh, my wing lady who's not here tonight, she's the one that wanted to get into this. Unfortunately, she couldn't be here. Um, but let's, what I want to talk about at least, because, I mean, the Bermuda Triangle, and I don't want to go too far on the Bermuda Triangle, but growing up, the Bermuda Triangle was something that just absolutely, I don't know what it was, Mike, but it was something that I would read about as a kid or I saw a couple of you know docudramas and some documentaries also. And the Bermuda Triangle was just a place that, you know, okay, a place that you fly a plane into and they never see you again. That idea scared the hell out of me. <laughs> it just really, really oh, messed yeah, my yeah. head up, man. Um, and so, and even the, whenever, even when I see the Bermuda Triangle written down, I'm like, ooh, that brings all those things back. Uh, let's talk, now the Alaska Triangle, um, obviously there's a line drawn between the two, right? I mean, it's pretty easy to do that. Can we talk about maybe some of the similarities between the two? If you, you know, if, if there's something you can add to that is what were the similarities between these two, uh, these two areas? Oh yeah. There's a lot of similarities. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And in fact, in, in a lot of cases, you know, people refer to the Alaska triangles, Alaska's Bermuda triangle, mm-hmm. so, because it has a lot of the same activity where you have, uh, you know, missing planes, ghost ships, uh, people go missing. You have UFO activity, you have paranormal activity. Um, you know, in, in Alaska, I guess it's a little bit different because you have more going on with the, with the cryptid sightings you don't get so much of that in, in the Bermuda, Bermuda triangle because of, of the water. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, basically the, the reason for the strange activity in both is, is essentially the same where you have that, uh, you know, that, that vortex energy that's 
you know, rising up out of the Earth's magnetic core mm -hmm. that, you know, it interacts with different metals and minerals within, uh, within the Earth's crust. And depending on what it hits, um, you know, it generates that electric, uh, that magnetic field that, you know, will cause navigation equipment to, to go crazy, you know, uh -huh. end up with strange weather patterns and, you know, all, all kinds of bizarre things. And so, yeah, you end up with a lot of similar activity between not just these two places, but you know, you have the Dragon Triangle out there near Japan. Uh, there's the Lake Michigan Triangle. You have all these different triangle areas, and they're starting to just call them now triangle areas <laughs> because it's kind of a you know kind of a, yeah. a catchphrase. But, uh, but basically, it's that same anomalous, strange activity that happens in these areas. How many people have been lost in the Alaska Triangle, if I may ask? Yeah, um, rough number. Since yeah, since 1988, they say 16,000 people have gone missing. Now that's a number we've been throwing out for a couple of years here. So yeah, it's it's only gone up. 16,000 people. Yeah, and and you have to think of the the population of Alaska. Uh, yeah. it's, it's our largest state by far, and people don't realize that because they just see it as a little um, in a little box in the corner of the map. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's two and a half times the size of Texas. It's, yeah, it's massive. It's massive. Yeah. But it has a population of about the city of San Francisco. Mm -hmm. So if you were to say 16,000 people went missing in San Francisco, you'd be like, Oh my God, that's insane. Yeah. Um, and it is now, of course, some of these people are, you know, you have, you have kidnappings. You do have people that get mauled by a bear in the woods and nobody ever finds out. And, and it's playing like the triangle. That's an easy one to blame. Yeah. Um, but, you know, given the sheer number of disappearances that, that have happened, the, um, you know, some of these you know, vehicular, where airplanes out of thin air have gone missing, or um, there's one individual who was in the middle of a, of a, of a race uh, and, you know, very public event, and mm -hmm. he went missing. Where the heck did he go? Yeah. never found again. You know, so just really strange things happen with a lot of these uh, missing persons cases up there. As I said, I didn't mention this, but you kind of mentioned this already. I mean, this is literally a buffet of different activity <laughs> within this thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's staggering. And you mentioned, you mentioned the idea of vortices and portals and things like that. I mean, and again, I don't think we really don't have any conclusive ideas on why you know, what, you know, what orchestrations happening here to cause all this crazy activity, but there are places, many places, as you've already mentioned too, that have this activity where people consistently go missing, where, where planes go down. You mentioned also shipwrecks. Um, were there any stories of any, I mean, as far as any, uh, well, I mean, as far as go, well, shipwrecks and ghost ships, uh, was there anything that was there any stories from that, if I may ask? Yeah, I mean, you have, well, as far as ghost ships, you have the Bay Chimo uh, ghost ship, which um, they have not seen now since the 1960s, but it was it was floating around the uh, uh, the Arctic there for like 40 years, which was crazy. Uh, Just, but, a sh I mean, well, a ghost ship. I mean, we're yeah, talking I mean, it, it had, yeah, it had been a legitimate uh, ship. Yeah. Uh, it was originally built in, in Sweden in the 19 teens, somewhere like 17 or 16 or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it made a lot of runs there through the Arctic and it basically became abandoned. Uh, so and, you're talking, when I say, when we, not to cut you off, I'm sorry, Mike, but when we're saying, I want to be clear here, when we say ghost ship in this situation, this ship was actually still floating around. I mean, a physical ship was still floating around or a physical ship was still floating around. Oh, dude. And people would. People would board it, they'd get on it, and then all of a sudden they'd get trapped in it for 10 days because a storm would kick up out of nowhere. 
you know, Dude. Uh, just, you know, crazy things like that would yeah. happen. So they'd abandon the ship again uh, and it, you know, off it would go. Uh, and so, yeah, it was floating around the Arctic for at least 40 years. We don't know if it ever went down. I guess in the early 2000s, they launched an expedition to try to find this thing and see if it was still floating around somewhere. They were not able to find it. So it may have actually finally gone down somewhere. But yeah. for the fact that you know, it was floating around for almost 40 years, is um, that's pretty wild. I was going to ask yeah, if somebody went out and tried to, if there was any effort, like, why don't we just go tow this thing back so it's done right. floating around everywhere? Sorry, we're going to say. Yeah. No, but. You have a lot of uh, you know, expeditions that it, it took you know, hundreds of years, like the Franklin expedition that nobody knew what happened to for, you know, a, a couple hundred years that they, they finally found here in the last 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was more of, um, what was that? Northwest territories, uh, basically in the waters up there in, mm-hmm. in Northern Canada. Uh, so that's, that's a, Really terrible story, but um, mm. but you have you know the the crazy shipwrecks up there in yeah. uh, in the Alaska Triangle as well, and probably the uh, the most prolific would have been the SS Princess Sophia, which they call the Alaskan Titanic. It happened six years after the Titanic accident. Over three hundred people perished in that. The only survivor was a dog. Oh. Uh, and you know the crazy thing that happened, you, and you see this happen with um, with a lot of the the triangles where just weather will kick up, kick up out of nowhere. Uh, like you look at the, you know, flight 19 in uh, Bermuda triangle, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they, the first leg of the journey was fine. They, they turned up North and then their compasses started going wild. Their navigation equipment was going haywire. Yeah. They couldn't get on course. Then all of a sudden there's a storm that kicks up out of nowhere and then they disappear. Mm-hmm. So in the Alaska triangle, 1918, October, um, you know, they there was a blizzard that kicked up out of nowhere. Uh, you know, this this particular captain, Captain Locke, he had uh, sailed this route basically from uh, Skagway to Juneau to Vancouver, you know, hundreds of times, countless number of times over years and years, and uh, you know he knew it like the back of his hand. So going through the one particular canal, the Lynn Canal, you know, he knew exactly where the reef was that the ship got hung up on. Now the storm had kicked up. Uh, this blizzard kicked up beforehand. So all he had to rely on at that point was his navigational equipment because, you know, the, the line of sight was yeah, zero. Yeah, no visibility whatsoever off the window. No visibility, yeah. no. And so he's, you know, relying on his, his equipment. And, you know, somehow he ended up in the middle of the canal on top of the reef. So his, you know, his navigational equipment went haywire on him. That's where they ended up. And unfortunately, because the storm just pounded them for a day and a half, you know, um, rescue ships could not get out there to help them. And one, the, the one particular night, the, uh, I guess the wind kicked up a certain way or whatever is what they deduced, uh, turned the ship a different direction and ripped it right off the reef. And they, they sank. Most people, uh, actually did not, um, did not drown or did not die from hypothermia. What they drowned was suffocation from the oil that leaked out of the boilers, Ugh. which is really, really terrible. That's a bad way to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's nasty. That's gross. Uh, wow. Yeah. And, and, and it's this weather thing. And I've heard about this over and over again too. And when it comes to, let's just say like broad travel ships, planes, especially right. That's all we keep hearing about is the, the navigational equipment going going haywire, especially with planes, right? Mm-hmm. And again, I think it goes back to what you mentioned a few minutes ago 
of and we don't know. I mean, as far as just the the orchestration of all this stuff happening and this energy field that we're that you may go into, that's the key to it. I think is just figuring out what's actually happening in there. I mean, and we I mean we may not know that in our lifetime. Hopefully, we find something out. But it's again, it's still this is creeping. And I hate to say it like this, but it's, this is creeping me out. Equally that that the, the, that I mentioned the Bermuda Triangle did, right? It's just that same idea, especially with ships. I mean, there's just a certain aura, and I'm sure you've read up plenty on this too. Just uh, shipwrecks, you know, in and of themselves, they they have an just a level of just, you know, I mean, you think about something like the Titanic, or um, or you said the USS Princess Sophia, uh, these massive uh, ships. And they look unbreakable. <laughs> like you can't. And that's what they thought about the Titanic, obviously. Not to go too deep, but th- this thing is unsinkable. It was designed, and we all know what happened now. <laughs> and just to see something that massive be swallowed up by the ocean, well, well, first off, we know who's in charge when we see that. It's a nice reminder right. of who's really running things around here. Um, uh, and also, it just, it just, it's just terrifying. It's scary to see that. So, yeah, all right, enough ship stuff. <laughs> it's, it's creeping me out. <laughs> Done but, with that. Yeah. But we mentioned, uh, you also mentioned, you know, within this shadow beings and time, time travel, Let's talk about time travel for a minute here. What what what's going on with this as far? Yeah, as with the, with time travel. Well, there's a, there's a couple of interesting photos from the area, and and yeah, they just yeah. may be you know you know uh, you know uncanny lookalike photos mm-hmm. that they have. You know, people either you know one look out of place in the photo, or two they look like somebody from modern you know modern times that you know we're familiar with. Those are fun, but when we talk about like real time travel, yeah. Um, you know, for one, if it kind of goes back to my my shadow person book, A Walk in the Shadows. You know, if if we as a culture had learned time travel and went back in time, yeah, you know, what would you know what would we do? We might try to cloak ourselves or try to remain hidden or something like that. But mm-hmm. perhaps that cloaking technology, whatever we're trying to use or trying to remain hidden by, maybe it's not totally coming off uh, the right way, and it ends up looking like a shadow. But we also have things like uh, time slips. And I believe this is something that I experienced when I was in Alaska. I told you I had a lot of shadow people stories. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in, in the basement of the Alaskan Command Building, mm-hmm. where I worked for two years, uh, it was in a secure facility, you know, no windows. Uh, it was in the basement of the building behind you know, some different you know, heavy doors. And um, in the back office areas, and a little bit out on, you know, in the rack rooms and stuff, but mostly in the back office areas, we saw a lot of shadows roaming around back there, just like you know, walking down the hall or darting behind a cubicle here mm-hmm. and things like that. Now we couldn't really talk too much about it because if you talked, uh, you know, about certain things too much, like you know, supernatural activity or, or what have you, yeah, you know, you're going to find yourself down to hint at mental health. So, you know, we would talk about it in whispers, and um, you know, and there was even an incident when I first. Uh, met my supervisor because he was he was not there like the first couple of weeks. Uh, I think he was on vacation or whatever. And then you know, he finally showed up and we're sitting down, we're having a chat. And I've already seen some stuff. And we're in his office and I noticed, you know, something kind of walk right by the door that was shadowy. And I he saw that I had seen it. And he was like, yeah, that happens around here. And that was it. That's all he said about it. Yeah, that happens around here. Um, you know, but but the the story that was getting whispered uh, you know, around the offices was that the building had once been a hospital. 
And we were actually set up down there in the morgue and, and where the rack yeah. room was, that was supposed to be where the coolers were. And, you know, so this fascinating story about, you know, these were the spirits of the deceased from the morgue. So, and that's a story that I had for like you know, 25 years. So when I started doing research for my book, you know, of course I wanted to include that story. And so I needed to be prudent and do my research on the building itself and come to find out, well, no, it had never been a hospital. So okay. uh, it was, it was built for exactly what it's being used for today, which is command. So, okay, okay. where did the, where are these shadows coming from? Yeah. Why, why are we experiencing those down there? And so it's, it's a hypothesis that, that I have, and there's no way I can prove it because they're not going to let me in down there to do an investigation or run some tests or whatever. But mm. um, I think what's going on down there is you know, we're experiencing a, uh, a time slip where you have two moments in time that seem to be resonating at the same frequency for a moment. And we're getting glimpses of people, you know, airmen personnel from the past or from the future, or maybe even ourselves overlapping a little bit in that regard. Cause you hear, you know, some of these interesting stories like the Versailles time slip. Um, there were time slips that happened at the, uh, at the conjuring house, uh, you know, some fascinating stories like that. And then there is this one particular story that was related to me uh, a while back uh, that, uh, you know, this, this young man, when he was a small child, he had walked into the kitchen and there by the kitchen table was this tall, dark hooded shadow figure and scared him to death. Boom. He ran mm -hmm. out of the kitchen. Mm -hmm. When we got a little bit older, he's in the kitchen and he's at the table. He's you know, making himself a sandwich. He's wearing a hoodie and he turns and looks at this small shadow figure about the size of a child that walks into the kitchen and then boom, turns around and takes off. And it hits him like, oh, my God, that was me as a child. And when I was a child, I saw myself when I was older. Oh, man. Yeah. So basically, it's, it's a time slip that's happening. But on both ends are coming off as a shadow. So that energy that's resonating through uh, those moments in time just aren't strong enough to produce the, the full figure, but enough to be able to see a shadow form. So I believe that's, that's what we were seeing down there in um in the basement of the alaskan command building which is in and of itself a form of time travel you don't have enough energy in some situations to paint yourself out fully so yeah you may come off as a shadow figure like that because that's all the energy you have to paint yourself with or at least present yourself let's say as yeah or or the you know or the frequency just isn't strong enough at that time you know the um, or I guess it would be the, I'm sorry, it would be the amplitude behind the frequency would not yeah. be strong enough at that particular moment. Yeah. That would, uh, that would quite trip me out. I think <laughs> <laughs> if I had that realization, uh, on both sides of the spectrum, both ages, let's say, uh, because you're talking about a boy and an adult. Um, I've never heard that idea before. That's really fascinating. Um, you mentioned something also here too, unusual creatures of the North. Now I know we, we didn't talk to, well, you mentioned already that um, Sasquatch up there, Bigfoot. Right. I don't think there's really anything up there, but is there, are we talking about something else? Well, no, you do get uh, Sasquatch reports up there. Quite a few actually. Okay. Um, right. so you get Sasquatch, you get uh, Harry man, uh, especially at Portlock there, mm -hmm. uh, Port Chatham, it goes by both names, um, okay. your Bushman tales, 
which are kind of a similar being as well. But then you have like the uh, Lake Iliamna monster, which is uh, basically like a Loch Ness monster type creature there at Lake Iliamna. Mm-hmm. Um, you get uh, a being called a uh, Kushtika, which is very similar to our Wendigo legends. Okay. So yeah, there are a lot of different creatures up there. And then you have, uh, if you go back into the uh, uh, the native Alaskan lore, and actually you, you do find some uh, old uh, newspaper articles regarding uh, giants up there where, you know, giant bones have been found, large skulls, things like that. Uh, but the, uh, the native Inuit in their culture uh, have some interesting stories about, you know, giants coming over from Siberia and the way that they uh, interacted in bread with normal humans uh, was very, very reminiscent of the stories of the Nephilim. And it kind of makes you scratch your head. Like, how in the world did stories of the Nephilim get all the way up here in Alaska and get integrated into, you know, their stories and legends of giants is, is yeah. really fascinating. Wow. And I've heard about the giant bones before. Yeah. Do you, I mean, I, if I have to ask, in closing here, I know we talked about the idea of energy. Do you have any type of like, I, mean, I would say concrete in your mind of what maybe. What may be causing all this? I know we've talked about some ideas, but I'm just curious if there's anything that you've really thought about, like why this stuff may be, or why? Because this is, like I said, this is a buffet. This <laughs> well, is the, stuff the, happening in one place. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't know why like a particular moment happens. Like what's yeah. the catalyst that made this event happen? Yeah. But we know that the energy is there. Um, in 1965, yeah. the U.S. Department of the Interior did a, uh, a survey up there in which, and they only measured like a sixth of the state. I mean, it's over 600,000 square miles in Alaska. They, they measured 100,000. And they found in that 100,000 square miles what they uh, described as five distinct magnetic characters. And within those magnetic characters were several uh, very distinct negative anomalies. So you know, we have negative anomalic uh, mm-hmm. uh, magnetism up there in Alaska. That's one thing. But we also have a lot of volcanic activity up there, which produces energy. There's a lot of seismic activity up there. There's a lot of earthquakes. You know, the largest earthquake in North America uh, occurred up there in the 60s. And, uh, and then you have, uh, of course, you know, all the solar flares that are bombarding the area. That's why we have the Aurora Borealis. So mm-hmm. you have this just, you know, cocktail of different energies that are helping to supercharge this area. And again, we don't know what the uh, catalyst is for one specific event happening, but the energy is there for these things to manifest. Super interesting. Fascinating. Mike, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with me here tonight to talk about this. Love to have you back on some time down the road. Thank you so much, though. Really. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Scott. I really appreciate it. Ghostly talk. (laughs)